Hello there. Welcome to the weekly chat with myself and my good mate, Ralph Hebkin, ex-equity research analyst extraordinaire and all-around genius. This week, we're going to be talking about three things. Firstly, a major advance in the development of fusion. Secondly, and I'm not talking about, you know, uh, food. Um, secondly, the reappearance of 100% mortgages. And thirdly, the um, ongoing problems of returns for apparel retailers. So let's go um, with the first one, um, the major advance in the development of fusion. I know this is one of your favorite topics, Ralph. So why do you, why not unleash your knowledge uh uh, to everyone watching and listening. No, normally, you do an intro on, on these things. This is remarkably absent now, so I'm being put into the middle of it just immediately. So anyway, <clears throat> yeah, I, I thought it was very interesting to see. I mean, fusion is obviously a thing of the future, and we all hope that it's going to happen rather sooner than later because we all need electricity and we can't really have it uh, from from Russia anymore, so we need to do something. All eyes on fusion and we know that there are various technologies in that particular field. The one which is yeah. now traditional, I would probably have to say, is something that uses a big reactor called a Tokamak reactor. And mm -hmm. what I just briefly want to focus on is how that fusion actually works not 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 in detail of course mostly because i don't understand it in detail but <laughs> not because we don't have you surprised time. me <laughs> yeah okay well, self-deprecating comment of course i know how that's how, yeah of course you do how, yeah. how this works no anyway but uh just wanted to uh, focus on what the sort of fusion is in terms of its chemical uh, process what is being fused there uh, because that is something which i think is the novelty in this um, technology which we've just seen so perhaps before i do this the news flow was that there is a company called helion microsoft has invested in helion and helion which is a company that operates fusion technology has committed itself to generate usable electricity by 2028 and that is five years from now which yeah. is astounding i mean yeah. it's not like 20 or 30 years into the future it's five years from now and it has committed itself to do that so this is real and microsoft has invested real money in it so so we have a tangible news story here over a um over a real workable time horizon, which is near term. So what happens in a tokamak reactor, as far as I understand it, is that two um, uh, hydrogen isotopes are being fused. One of these isotopes is commonly known as deuterium, and the other one is tritium. Now, deuterium is abundantly available in nature. Uh, it's in seawater. There's a very simple very cost-effective process by which deuterium can be produced and this is also what everybody in the public space in the public sphere is always focused on and focusing on this is you know comments like oh fusion is going to be the way of the future because what we're doing there is we're just basically creating uh, fusion from from hydrogen atoms and it's going to be a doddle and it's abundantly available so that is true when we are talking about 
one of these elementary particles, that is deuterium. But the other one, which is tritium, is unfortunately the opposite of commonly or abundantly available. It's extremely rare and it has to be manufactured in some way. It has to be mined, which is expensive, or the tokamak reactor have developed a so indirect way in which the operation of the tokamak reactor itself is producing tritium in the process. But the problem with that is that um, as this is being done, the material from which it is developed is turning radioactive over decades of the operation of the tokamak reactor and eventually will have to be replaced. And interestingly, therefore, in a traditional tokamak fusion reactor or fusion plant, we are going to end up with very similar problems than we have in traditional fission atomic power plants, which is nuclear waste. And this is something which I don't think uh, people necessarily focus on. Which brings me now to this other technology. This is a third way in which this can be done. As far as I'm aware, there may be more ways, but I'm aware of the tokamak way. The other one, which we discussed on the show several months ago, which is sort of this pellet uh, laser ignition. And this new one, which is uh, one which is developed by this company Helion. And again, focusing on the fuels which are being burned here, <laughs> well, fused. This is actually, again, a hydrogen isotope, which is the same one, deuterium, abundantly available, and it's being fused with a helium isotope, helium, helium, sorry, helium three, not helium. It's confusing. This <laughs> um, is not actually merging with the company. <laughs> yeah. So uh, deuterium and helium-3. Now helium-3, for those who are in the know, they're going to say things now, yeah, right, big deal, helium-3 is even worse than tritium. You, you can't find this anywhere, which is sort of true, but here is the trick. The company Helion, <laughs> careful how I pronounce this now, uh, have apparently come up with a way to produce helium-3 in a secondary fusion process. So the way this technology works is you have two fusion processes, a secondary one and a primary one. The secondary one is only there to produce the helium-3 fuel to be merged or fused with the deuterium isotope in the primary fusion process. So, you have a secondary process where deuterium is fused with deuterium. What you get in the process is helium-3 and some energy, but not enough to actually produce meaningful electricity. That helium-3 you feed back into the primary fusion technology. Now you're fusing deuterium and the freshly produced helium-3. And what you, what, what, what you get is, again, helium plus energy and that is the energy we want and there is even another thing which i just mentioned in passing in this secondary fusion process you also produce tritium and this tritium will over 15 years decay into helium-3 
so again, you might say a big deal 15 years from now, but of course, if we're thinking about this as a sustainable energy source for the future, then in 15, 20 years time, if this works, you have two ways in which helium-3, which is the which is one of the uh, fuels needed in the fusion process here, is being produced through much simpler fusion processes. So it doesn't have to be mined in any way. It doesn't have to be extracted from the natural process in which um, actually uranium deteriorates or decays in, uh, in nuclear weapons, which is the major source of tritium today. And it seems to me, with my limited understanding of this, it seems to me that this is actually a way in which it, first of all, can feasibly be done. Second, no nuclear waste of the kind which are described in the Tokamak operation is going to be produced. And clearly, the company itself must think the same thing because it has committed itself to making this technology commercially viable within five years. So I, I, I'm, I'm down for that. I, I think this is really interesting, tangible news flow very cool. It's, I, well, I think it's amazing. I mean, the fact that we've gone, um, you know, the fact that we've gone from, um, uh, you know, it being something that happens like way, way in the, in the future to, oh, this has happened now. Um, and now for them to say, wow, we've got, um, you know, this is going to happen in five years exactly. is incredible. You know, and uh, it really is amazing, I think. Yeah. Um, so, and this will probably give impetus to rivals as well. And it may well attract more money because exactly. um, investors will think, wow, you know, we don't want, well, we thought this was going to be something, you know, not, not for years and years and years. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, it's 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 going to be a reality. It, it, exactly. I, I'm I'm excited by it. I mean, if mm. you follow the news flow and fusion technology, it's always been something like, "Ooh, there's a break breakthrough here, which is all very cool." Which mm. now means that uh, we are going to produce this stuff uh, mm. commercially in 30 years' time, mm. rather than 50 years' time. You're thinking, "Oh, all right, fine." I mean, but it's not really very interesting yet. This is in five years' time. And it is, mm. it is real. It's not as if scientists say, oh, we might actually be able to do this in five years' time. No, they have committed mm. themselves mm. and Microsoft, Microsoft has committed capital to it. Last mm. time Microsoft committed some capital to something uh, was uh, when, they, when they purchased ChatGPT and we all see mm. how that's going. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, I, I, I'm excited. Let's watch this space. I encourage people, yeah. if you have some time, like 10 minutes or so, uh, on, on a tube ride in London or something, uh, just check out on YouTube um, a video on how Helion describes its, its technology. It's, it's really well done. The CEO explains it very well. And uh, it's, it's very cool because you also get some more information on um, the uh, software and the computer 
technology which is enabling this particular engineering process because that's another thing this just would not have been possible 10 years ago because our mm. computing power wasn't fast enough and you couldn't actually put the various uh, processes together in a parallel way which they mm. have to be run in in order to do this so check it out it's all good stuff i'm i'm excited <laughs> yeah that's good that's good um brilliant and by the way i'm, I'm not sure whether um, Microsoft have bought ChatGPT, so it's developed oh. by OpenAI, which develops ChatGPT, and I think that Microsoft has invested in OpenAI. So That's I don't correct. think they've actually bought it, but no. you know, it's they put a lot of money into it. I think they invested. They, inv they they bought forty nine percent of it. I yeah, think. I mean, it's uh, it, yeah. That that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, right. So um, let's talk about the second thing. Um, which is almost as, as explosive, <laughs> right? Oh, um, which is <laughs> it is the return um, of a hundred percent mortgages, which have oh, been yeah. absent <laughs> for the last fifteen years. Um, so this is pretty amazing as well, although not quite as amazing as Fusion, but you know, still, still, um, nevertheless. So the um, Back in the real the, world, we're talking about yeah, boring, the, boring personal yeah. financial products the, now. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? It's not boring. Um, but the, yeah, the um, you know. So anyway, so yeah, talking about the uh, the the uh, the massively um, impactful um, bastion of um, <laughs> financial innovation. Uh, that is the Skipton Building Society. Um, it is about, I bet it's never been described like that before. The anyway. ball work. Yeah, that's right. I'm really trying to, really, you know. Anyway, um, yeah, so uh, the, they're about the to most launch. moated domain of <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, the, They're about to launch a, a, a new 100% mortgage uh, aimed at one of the first time buyers. Um, this yeah. means, obviously, that you won't have to save for a deposit. And it means that you, uh, it may well be, uh, a, a, you know, it may well be something that could be interpreted as being fairer to more people um, because things like um, the help to buy, which still required a deposit um, and, you know, people to save up a lot of money as a result of that. Um, I just think that, you know, the, that was good in some way, but I think that certainly favoured um, people who had particularly access to Bank of Mum and Dad um, and those who could get lump sums together relatively easily. Because, you know, the the fact of the matter is these days, the, the prices of houses, uh, you know, price of properties gone up uh, generally. And to scrape together a deposit of 10%, for instance, is just insanely difficult. So, um, so I think that on the one hand, um, this sounds like it could be fairer, and you could say that, well, you know, what's the difference in terms of affordability? What's the difference between, say, someone paying fifteen hundred quid for uh, for um, on rent for something, um, or to pay, let's say, twelve to fifteen hundred quid? on an equivalent property, actually, no, you probably have to pay, it might be the other way around, but anyway, but to pay a big amount of money on a property, but you then have equity in it, you know? Mm. So I, I personally think this sounds like it could be fairer, 
um, to to first-time buyers because more people will be included in this. You don't have to have access to large lump sums of money, um, so it might be better. Um, but on the other hand, there are risks involved. But um, what do you think, Ralph? Yes, you're describing it very well. I mean, it, it sort of depends on... Uh, on, on on your perspective, I mean, there are obviously two people in this transaction. One is the retail customer and the other one is the bank. Uh, from the point of view of the retail customer, of course, this is better because, you know, you need to get on the property ladder at some point. Uh, this is still an important way uh, in, in, in which to manage your, fi your, your lifetime finances. Uh, of course, I was born in Germany and lived there for decades, so I know different societies as well where this is not held to be as important. But in England, this is absolutely part and parcel of lifetime planning, mm. and you need to get on the property ladder at some point. Obviously, it is better for you to get on this ladder early than later. So if you do not actually have to have the liquidity, the cash to hand, to fund a deposit, then this is obviously better for you. The issue I think I had with this when I saw this news flow is just the historical context into which it is embedded. Now, that's a fancy way of saying that I wonder whether it might ring alarm bells of a next financial crisis coming. So what I mean by this is this. If, if you look at the environment, of course, we all know what's happening. We have a peak inflation, commensurately high interest rates, which feed into high mortgage costs for existing mortgage owners. And it makes new uh, first time buying of property expensive because you need to fund a mortgage which might well now go up is already at about 4% rate and might actually go up to 5%. Um, now the issue cl clearly is that uh, as this is happening it is not just the consumer that is suffering. It is also the banking sector in general who finds less demand for mortgages as a consequence of this. And we have already seen that a lot of banks are now offering mortgages at rates which are very inexpensive, that they're actually looking very good at a time that base rates are something north of 4%, but find the mortgage which is 4%, when it's actually very good, it's surprisingly good. And yet you, you find this. And this is all done because the banks will need to actually generate demand for, for their product. And if the product is unaffordable because it's too expensive, then of course you lower the price. This is no different from mortgage than for any other product in, in the economy. And that is what we have seen already. Now we've seen uh, a change, a dilution of the security with, within the terms and conditions of the mortgage contract itself. Because previously, even at a lower rate, the banks would still demand a deposit, a cash deposit. 
Because from the point of the bank, it is obvious why they would do this, because the so-called loan-to-value ratio is less than one. In, 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 in other words, if, if I lend you 80 for a property which is worth 100, then my loan is fully collateralized by the value of the uh, of the property. If I lend you 100 for a value deemed to be 100, now it is not collateralized anymore. And if my property now goes down from 100 to 90, then the consumer is in negative equity, which is bad for the consumer. But it's also bad for the bank because they actually now face the situation where they might not actually have, um, where they might not be able to recover their loan. That is sort of the, the safety cushion which a deposit offers from the point of view of the bank. And I'm finding it interesting and perhaps not alarming, but certainly perhaps moderately concerning to see that we are now facing a situation where banks perhaps are gradually allowing to erode the credit safety built into the product itself through the demand of a deposit, they're allowing that to dilute by saying, oh, we don't actually need a deposit anymore. Mm. There's more to this, of course. I mean, you you, you mentioned... Um, one would need to look at this exactly how this actually works. If Skipton and other building societies and banks who might follow say to the consumer, okay, you have a track record of paying rent, I'll make this easy, like say of like, say 1,500 quid a month, and we are prepared to lend you the capitalized value of a thousand pounds in mortgage. You know, that's the same kind of safety built in. It's just built in in a different way. You know, now, now you're saying you, you, this is almost like the same deposit coming in again. You are you are capable of paying thousand five hundred. We can see that. We will lend you only as much as uh, only as much money as will require you to serve us with a thousand pounds mortgage payment, and we can therefore be pretty sure that you are able to 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 service that particular loan. The problem with that is that it would need the consumer to be um, uh, to be responsible in the way in which they manage their savings. Hmm. Because if the consumer now says, oh, cool, now I've got 500 I've got quid more in discretionary okay. income, yeah. excellent, then, you know, let's, let's buy, let, let's go to Mallorca or Pisa on holiday, you know. Yeah. Like, a seat is okay. Shows, shows my age. Nobody does that anymore. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, all right. No, cool. it's a bit, of, bit, old, bit old school, I'd say that. Yeah, yeah, that joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, you know what I mean. So just uh, uh, squander my newfound wealth away. Then obviously yeah. this is no good for the bank because now, yeah. now, uh, th sorry, this is not good for you because now you actually uh, you don't have that cushion anymore either. Ooh, so long story short, idea. I think uh, the the I think potentially I have a concern here by 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 seeing a gradual development which is in response to falling demand in the mortgage sector. Banks are happy to first of all sell the product as too low a price and second dilute the terms and conditions and where have we seen this before 
oh dear, there was 2008 uh, mm. with the financial crisis. Now, I'm not doom-mongering. That was a different thing. It was actually far worse. There were different dynamics. We understand this. Nevertheless, that is something which perhaps we see coming, another financial crisis in several years' time. Anyway, sorry, your idea. You had an yeah, idea. Yeah, well, I'll tell you about that in a second. One of the things, actually, you know, like almost like an echo of financial crisis, don't you think it sounds – this is interesting, right, because – it sounds like, you know, the the sort of safety nets that were put in place after the financial crisis in real estate, you know, with regard to loan to value and stuff like that, or, or um, they've been, you know, they've been quite strict since then because it was, you know, the, the, the um, you know, mortgages and things were the cause of the last you know were the main cause of the of the last financial crisis but it seems now that they're thinking well okay maybe things aren't as risky anymore so we shall um you know we'll we'll take on more risk now it almost seems like this is something that we've just seen in the banking sector so it's almost like we're kind of almost the letting history potentially repeat itself maybe you know because i think in the banking sector there's been that trend of oh you know we've been too cautious for too long it means that we've um lost out on growth potential and stuff like that so maybe we should make things a little bit easier on ourselves and as soon as that sort of happens then you get the you know those those two banking failures in, in the u.s exactly. um instability in the banking sector generally in the u.s so you know it, is this going to I wonder I wonder whether this is going to destabilize the property market in the UK. I mean that sounds like a bit alarmist but I don't know I just think it's quite interesting that these two things that have been so conservative for a long time for a, for the main you know because of the financial crisis almost as soon as they're relaxing something goes wrong. So I don't know nothing's gone wrong in the real estate market yet but I just wonder if it does is that going to cause a sort of ripple effects like we've seen in banking? Anyway, hmm. that's one thing. Another thing, though, is <laughs> what about, right, so you're saying about, um, you know, to stop people from going off uh, to Ibiza. Um, what about if they said, okay, you can have a 100% mortgage, but what you've got to do is you've got to open a savings account with us and put x amount in this savings account so in, in a way you're kind of paying your you know like a deposit as you're going along and then that acts as your so they could say we want you to put in x amount minimum x amount per month and up to a certain let's say 30 20 30 grand thereafter you're okay so in a way rather than putting your money in up front and then paying the 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 mortgage you know your mortgage put on a monthly basis you jump in first you're paying your 1500 quid or whatever then you then you have a separate um savings account which let's say you're supposed to put in 300 per month until mm. you hit 20 you know 30 grand maybe that might be a way round and then you've got you've not only got people getting on the ladder quicker but also you are effectively building up a cash buffer. What do you reckon? Yes, I mean, that, that may 
be a feasible way of limiting the credit risk um, of the bank while enabling people to get on the property ladder because it's almost like a deferred liquidity charge, isn't it? I mean, basically, if you think about I need to buy a property and it, 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 it's, um, uh, it, it costs 100, the bank is giving me 70 and I need to bring 30. That's the old-fashioned way of doing it. That's the way mm. with with a deposit of 30. You need to find that 30 somewhere and that's the liquidity which you have to have. Now, your, your idea is interesting. The bank would basically say, uh, we lent you 100, the deposit requirement is zero, but you have to build up the deposit of 30 from the savings account, which means that you still have a charge on your liquidity. It's just not as big. It's maybe it's a, it's whatever it might be, a hundred per month or something, you know. Mm. And um, and so that allows you to build that up, and then we basically take it because that's the key which I just wanted to say in this savings account is fine, but it has to be something which the bank has a charge over. Otherwise, it wouldn't mm. work. I mean, if it's a savings mm. account and, and it's just your savings account, <laughs> then you just basically, after three years' time, you take the money and go back to Ibiza mm. with it. You know? <laughs> for, for a really good holiday, like a seriously good holiday. To go... Yeah. Uh, okay, I won't do it. Um, <laughs> anyway, and and, <laughs> and then so, so the bank needs to have a charge over it. And so that would only do for the consumer something you know, it's, it's a halfway house between it. It's not a hundred percent. It is hundred percent loan to value ratio for sure, but basically that would then decrease over time as you build up the cash, de- the equivalent of the cash deposit to be payable at the end of a period of well, to be negotiated, let's say three years or whatever. And uh, and I think that might actually be a workable way way around it. it it will have to be built into the mortgage contract as a um as a module a component of that contract so it's not mm. going to be a free savings account it's going mm. to be an associated savings account i mean this used to exist though perhaps in the uk definitely in france and i think in germany where uh, you had to actually in, in france i think this is still the case you have to open a term assurance policy this works slightly differently, but the term assurance policy, which pays out the deemed value of the more of the property, if you die, and this is again additional safety for the bank because if you die and you can't actually pay back the outstanding amount of the loan, then the amount of the life assurance policy would cover for that. Hmm. That's different, but it, it is another way in which. Uh, the bank might um, might 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 lower the credit risk which it accepts, but mm. but your point is very interesting. I mean, I'm sure this might it could be structured in in this way. It might actually work very well for the bank because if it offers the savings account, which of course it would do, then what it also gets it's it gets deposits in which it can use to lend. And yeah. so um, I was going to say, yes, it's useful for, the for them, isn't it? They can. They can use it. Yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, they would pay you. It would just work like a normal savings deposit. If we can structure it in such a way that it maybe is um, works over a period of three years, then you can get a very good rate 
uh, as a customer, let's say 5% savings rate, and that would work for you very well. Um, and it would work for the bank because it pays you 5% for in, in, in expectation of higher return from the mm. longer term lending, just normal uh, mm. plain vanilla bank business. Mm. I- interesting point. I don't know whether this is being done, but that would certainly be a way to perhaps um, arrive at a, well, to, to, to fuel a demand in the property sector help people to get on the property ladder and at the same time lower lower your credit risk but but Mm. we just have to be sure again that would be in the middle somewhere a deposit would still be better for the bank Mm. so it just lowers your credit risk versus a hundred percent uh, a, a no deposit mortgage. A no mm. deposit mortgage is here in credit risk. Our new savings contract uh, construction is here, and the full deposit is here. So it will be a. I think a we should. Compromise. I think we should. Uh, you know, we should trademark this. We should, we call should it the uh, uh, Ralph and Peter mortgage. You know, I love it. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I think we need to do that. We need to do that. Um, so. Awesome. Like um, so yes, having having solved uh, having solved Everything. having solved this problem, let's let's, let's go move on. on to the next thing. So let's let's see what else we can do, which we um, will also solve. By the way, yes. I have a feeling that we might solve that <laughs> next one. So yeah, so it was very interesting to see that ASOS um, had you know difficult uh, or poor results this week, and they blamed. Um, the losses on the amount of returns they get. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, I have talked about this before on podcasts and whatnot, um, that this is a particularly tricky problem for apparel retailers that sell online and specifically and particularly for those who only sell online. So the story here is that you have, um, um, well, there's a number of things. One is that, uh, people just order a load of clothes and return a lot of them. Um, there's this thing that I keep going on about called bracketing, which is basically you order the size that you think you are and then the one above and the one below. And then the idea is then that you will definitely get something that does fit you. And so you return the two that you haven't, you know, that don't fit. Um, and then, I mean, there's there's another one. Uh, called wardrobing as well, which is where you um, you order um, whatever it is online. Um, you go to your function that where you are wearing this yeah. said item. Um, you come back having not you know it, you know taken off the tags um, and had any drink spilt over anything um, or ketchup stains or whatever, um, and then you return it. You know having used it for one night. And yeah, I mean, there's there's that. So I mean, all of these things kind of wrapped together has made it really hard um, for some shops, not only to, in terms of sales, it's very difficult to know what their sales are because um, at any one time, actually their sales may be considerably less than they think they are because they're in the middle of being returned. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it makes it difficult to plan because you don't quite know exactly how much you've 
um, you've sold. So, yeah, what, what do you think about that then, Ralph? Yes, I mean, it's an interesting one because my my wife used to work as a CFO for some of these online retailers. And so I have a I have a sort of history, like an experience of her coming into the living room and saying, oh, honey, this is terrible. I can't control the cash because we got like 80% returns and this there, and the other. And mm. it was all a, a, a constant thorn in her side um in terms of controlling the financial planning and uh, she worked for several of these and so this is a uniform problem which they all appear to have so it is a real issue in terms of in terms of financial control um on the other side of the equation where we look at the consumer you, you've mentioned these two uh, the dynamics of trends, bracketing and, and wardrobing, which I find particularly, well, amusing perhaps. So it's not mm -hmm. really amusing if you're the retailer, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, uh, where, where am I going with this? Um, oh, yes, of course. In addition to that, it seems to be almost like a fashion fad now to mm. just order in as much as possible, not just bracketing, which is a which is at least done for a purpose. I mean, you don't really quite know whether the T-shirt labeled as medium actually really is a medium from that particular brand. Maybe it's small, maybe it's large. So you do the bracketing and that sort of makes some sense. But if you look at some of the... Um, one of the sort of things which you see on the gram or on, on, on TikTok, it's almost as if people are encouraging consumers to just mm. order 10 of the things in, get your friends around and have a, like a, like a, like an online, online retail party, so to speak. And, and that is of course all, all a problem. Now, ignoring that particular social fad for the moment, and this is your idea, which I'm now going to take full credit for, by the way. <laughs> Okay. Uh, actually, that would have made more sense if I hadn't told everybody. No, I know. <laughs> yeah. God. Oh, God. Damn. Yeah. Damn it. I, damn. God. I knew yeah. I would. I knew I'd yeah. bugger that up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oops. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, where was I with this? Yes. So the stealing my idea. That's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. The yeah. Uh, technologies of AI might actually solve, certainly limit or alleviate this particular issue. I think we yeah. already have avatars everywhere. They look a little bit uh, odd at the moment, but if you look at um, image. Uh, um, creation pro generation programs such as Midjourney, for example, you know how good mm. these images are now. Uh, there is also recently, mm. independently, this is my second point, I've just seen that one, one supermodel, which uh, I, I forgot who it was, uh, they created some something for her, which is basically an online clone or a virtual reality clone called a synth. And this synth is so good that it is actually being hired for events where she would otherwise appear in some physical shape or form. Obviously, they're not physical in the sense it's, it's, it's not a it's not a walk up. It's not like it, she's not on the catwalk. She doesn't it, the event doesn't demand a physical presence, but it would be an advertising shoot or something where the clone is a stand in for her. And it works mm. perfectly well, and people pay her money for this. Not as much Sounds money like as the sort of thing Putin appearance. would do, isn't it? 
<laughs> if he only would. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. no, actually... Anyway, yeah. No. Actually, I think... Th- yeah. Okay, let's not go there. There's, no, okay, there's, yeah. there's something there. He seems to have lots of body, body doubles, apparently. Mm. But um, anyway, so... Um, she doesn't have to appear in 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 person. These are paying events. The synth is good enough to do that, and so you could have a synth of yourself or an avatar of yourself, which is created for the platform, and to the um, depending on how good a reflection of yourself that avatar is you would be able to then put the various clothes which you wish to test on the avatar. The avatar would just not be stationary, could walk around on the platform, on your PC or whatever, uh, interact with the environment, with virtual reality environment, um, against certain backgrounds, against certain spaces and environments. And it would pretty much, I think, create a... A, a virtually real life experience of what you would look like in a spatial context when you're wearing these clothes. Now, reality will still be better. Nothing replaces reality. So you still need to order these things. But if you are a normal consumer, only interested in actually buying something which will fit you, rather than having a TikTok party, mm. then this might actually be a feasible way in which online retailers could control the rate of returns they're getting. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I, I just think that some of it, it will be due to the fact, because sizing is all over the place in every retailer. You know, you can be different sizes in in even in the same shop because it's the diff, a different manufacturer. So... I kind of think that if you had an accurate um, version of yourself mm-hmm. for the purposes of, you know, virtually trying on clothes and things like that, surely that would really help with returns um, and, you know, and, and reducing them um, because at least people would buy clothes that fit them. Yeah, exactly. And and also, I mean, if you think about this uh, one step further into the science fiction future, you know, everybody has declared the metaverse to be dead. Well, that might be one way in which the metaverse actually has a tangible commercial application. But mm. that's uh, possibly a step too far for the moment. But you, you mm. told me something else, which is some sort of... Uh, gimp suit which you could (laughs) hold on hold on hold on right there no it was not i did not term it as a gimp suit um just to let people know um you claim it was this no so anyway basically it was this japanese company whose name i can't remember fortunately um and uh and i was told this by a very very reputable ex um, uh, investor clients of mine who said that I that um, it was a Japanese company. They were trying to make inroads into into Europe, um, and what they would do they they would make clothes to fit you. So what would happen is you. So I did send off, but I didn't get anything unfortunately. But anyway, they send you some sort of suit. I don't know exactly what this was. Maybe some like morph skin type morph suit. I don't really know because uh, I didn't get it. But you get that, and and you use the measurements from that. That then goes. You then input those measurements somehow, and then the idea was for this 
you know, for their rollout, European rollout, I would get a pair of jeans and a t-shirt from this, um, from this company, um, that was made for me. And I thought that was a really good idea because obviously mm -hmm. it takes all the guesswork out of, is this going to be too big? Is it going to be too small, etc. Um, and, um, I thought it was really good. Now, unfortunately they withdrew, um, from Europe fairly quickly. I think they're still going in Japan. Um, but my point is, is that, you know, if you could actually have a way of making sure that that, uh, that where people could be certain that the items would fit them, mm -hmm. I think that that would reduce returns dramatically. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I, I, I was quite taken by that particular suit, which I'm not <laughs> going to specify any, yeah. any, any further what suit nah, that might nah. have been. But, yeah. it, you know, that's what they use in Hollywood, animation things, mm. I think. Uh, you, you walk around in that suit and you have various measure, measuring points on your body, mm. which the camera detects, and then it's being translated into some form of animation. Yeah. But, of course, that can also be used uh, to measure precisely your measurements, uh, translate them into perhaps what might be called in the future a synth, and mm. or whatever it might be, or avatar, it doesn't really matter. Some virtual reality representation of yourself. Uh, and, and it looks to me as if this is eminently feasible. And mm. uh, and, and that might actually be uh, the future of online, online retail. I would certainly be very much interested in this. Well, there you go. I mean, we've just done it again, haven't we? I mean, we're not Can only I... have we, not only have we solved, no. you know, like the mortgages and things we've just gone and we've just we've only just gone and solved apparel retail Look, i mean we have solved the energy problems of the world yeah, yeah. the mortgage crisis <laughs> and the online retail financial bottleneck all in one half yeah. hour episode now this is amazing we've got it oh, going on drop. on this show <laughs> my drop and on can that i ask note... you one thing yeah, go on. You then. have this excellent T-shirt on, oh, which yeah. has got the. If I press it's, there, does that actually no, shut it's you not, up? No, so it's. Oh, God, it doesn't work. It's it's got. There you go. So it's not. It doesn't it doesn't work? No, it they they are they're sort of horns. This is a this is a noble T-shirt. Is, is the suit. is the name? Yeah, it's yeah, it's a it's a logo thing. Yeah, anyway. I'm disappointed. I thought it was a pause yeah. button. No, <laughs> which no, I, get no. I should get one it. that has play written on it, maybe at some point. <laughs> you know. yeah. Um, but, uh, I wish, yeah. I wish people. Well, on the back, you could have one on the back, couldn't you? Um, so yeah, yeah. Well, the interactive um, touch screen or whatever. People can yeah. stop me. I'm, I'm, I'm sure everybody is sort of constantly on their screen. Yeah, like, like, yeah. Well, how, oh, just, how shut, just shut up, Watson. Yeah, shut up, <laughs> yeah. shut up, um, But anyway, brilliant. Well, I, cool. on that on that note, um, I think we'd better end it there because, I mean, we're, we're just solving too many world problems. Um, I know. So it's, it's amazing. We need to leave some, you know, because we can't solve, solve everything in, in, in one episode. In one episode. But Let's anyway, leave some yeah. for, I, I believe in two weeks' time, I believe, because I'm yes. going to be in Italy doing nothing at all while eating mozzarella like and whatever else they have. <laughs> Pasta. I think they have quite a lot, yeah. But Pizza. anyway, yeah, brilliant. Um, anyway, thank you so much, as always, Ralph. Always brilliant to talk to you. Um, thank you very much for listeners for listening, watchers for watching, um, etc. And uh, yeah, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, guys. Until Lovely. next time. Bye. <laughs>